forces. Since we last spoke, we found another terror attack, this time in Tunisia, at least 27 dead. At least one gunman has been killed. And this is the second major attack in Tunisia in about five months. Why today? Well, remember five months ago when we discussed the Bardot Museum attack, uh, our analysis and projection was that this is going to be the opening of a campaign, and this is the second part of that opening. What the jihadists, ISIS, and others are trying to do in Tunisia, basically, is to bring down this government by hitting at economic assets, a museum, tourists, now a beach, and more, simply because they lost the Islamist government that existed before, the Nahda Party. And now they're going to bring down this government. It's an ongoing fight. And let me just back up a second. And, and what, Willie, you, you said the coming revolution, and, and you wrote the book about it, and the Arab Spring happened, and you said, look out, everybody. You might not like what we get, but Tunisia right. was the one thing that emerged first and seemed to have— uh, seem to have emerged strongest, and now they're being targeted because the extremists weren't able to disrupt that country. Go ahead. That's exactly that's exactly it, Brian. Basically, Arab Spring in Tunisia, the very first early stage was good. The Islamists took over, and then the secular, the civil society rose last year, brought down that Islamist government, as the case in Egypt. So now. You have the jihadists retaliating and saying, oh, you don't want our governments? This is what you're going to get. Your beaches are going to be hit. Your museums are going to be hit. So it's an ongoing war between the jihadists and any attempt in the region to go towards democracy. Something else has just happened, and I'll share it with everyone. A suicide bomber has just blown himself up at a packed Shiite Muslim mosque in Kuwait City during Friday prayers, uh, killing more than 10 people. But inside a mosque, Shia, Sunni, and the West, they don't care who they kill. No, no limitations. I mean, when it comes to the jihadists, they have no limitations. I used to say sky is the limit. The sky is not even the limit. They can bring down airliners, anything. We are witnessing, Brian, now a unleashed radical jihadi ideology. The one that many said, oh, it does not exist, it's about jobs. No, it is an ideology like Nazism, like Bolshevism, and now we see the results on the ground. Here's what they say, an eyewitness said about the suicide bomber, quote, it was obvious from the suicide bomber's body that he was young. He walked into the prayer hall during uh, Suad, Sujud, it's called kneeling in prayer. He looked in his 20s. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw him with my own eyes. This is a witness who told Reuters the explosion was hard. The ceiling and walls were destroyed. Do you believe they're on a group chat? Hey, you hit Tunisia, I'll hit France, and I'll slam Kuwait. Or is this just group? Uh, is this just similar thoughts? There is a general directive that has been beamed by ISIS top commanders that would be the guys in charge of Raqqa and in Mosul in Iraq and Syria. They have been telling their followers around the world, hit and hit hard. Because the more you hit, the less likely there will be an international coalition against us. They, they believe, they have the firm belief that the U.S., under at least this administration, and maybe Europe at this point in time, the more they are hit, the less likely they're going to go in. It's that's, wrong. That's you, realize that's, that's, that's that's wrong. That's, you realize that theory doesn't work. It's just actually the opposite. This yeah, president would love to look the yeah. other way. They're making him pay attention. Mm-hmm. That, that is true. But now 
the, the attention that he's going to actually give would be more airstrikes. So, and they know that because the attention that he gave over the past year to ISIS after the ethnic cleansing of minorities, after the fall of Mosul, the beheading of hostages has been airstrikes and then saying, well, this is going to take a long time, much longer than my administration. Remember that? So they capture those messages. They know exactly that he's not going to give an order to full divisions to go to Iraq and Syria or Libya. And therefore, they, they act in consequence. I agree. Walid Ferris, our guest, Islamic uh, extremist expert, Islamic expert, and I think it's also good. And I, I've been I've been bad about doing this and not and let people listen right now. We're pretty, getting pretty uh, Islamic savvy. These are Sunni extremists, and inside the Sunni, there's an extreme version. These Salafists who scare other Sunnis. Yeah. So, where, uh, why is that so attractive? to people who might have all economic backgrounds, why would it be attractive to get somebody to give up Western comforts, uh, Western technology, for a woman to go to this area, for people to say, I want to be a part of this new Islamic state, when that life promises nothing but, uh, but stress, heartache, and war? Our audience, the missing link, or the real recipe. It's not that we have a regular person who works from nine to five and suddenly, you know, they hear something on, you know, on the radio or go on Internet and then they are attracted. No, there is a chip in their mind that has been planted by indoctrination. See, that part, unfortunately, we haven't paid attention to. And once that chip hears these messages coming from that side, then it activates the person. So there is a condition, a, a, a deep condition, which is to be indoctrinated first. And that's something, that strategy we don't have any reply to because we refuse to recognize that there is an ideology. If we refuse that, then we can't see it, we can't see the chip. So we all see, oh, normal people are just being emotional and and, and striking. That is not the case. Uh, Waleed, uh, what happened after we defeated al-Qaeda in Iraq? What did that do to the Islamic extremist community? It did defeat them. I mean, you need to. You, it's a pincer movement. First, you defeat them militarily on the ground. But then you have to do something else. What? You have to move in with NGOs and work with civil society, allow them to do what the Egyptians have done in removing the Brotherhood, what the Tunisians have done. That second part we didn't do. And that's because of the current policy that says, you know, it's not about ideology, it's about jobs and economy. We made a big error in estimation and assessment. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was really disturbed by this report about three and a half weeks ago that said that uh, our military knows the six major locations where the higher-ups in ISIS are located, but the president has not pulled the trigger on any of these locations because he's concerned about civilian casualties, which is, a ju is an admirable concern. But in the big church where I lead, if he was to call you up and, and, and politicians call you up all the time and you work with congressmen and senators and say, what should I do here? Is the downside worth it? What would you tell them? Well, look, there is another way to do it. You put pressure on them. You drive them out, as we've done in Afghanistan and Iraq before under Petraeus, basically. You actually warn the population. You have to be at war with, with the jihadists to do it. The problem is that the president or the administration are arguing that this is not a war. This is just going after some assassins and criminals. But that has consequences in, in reality, in the fight on the ground. If you, you want to flush them out of the civilian population, and to do so, you're going right. to say, this is a war, I'm coming to this area, I'm warning all the civilians, I have allies on the ground, I have the Kurds, I have the Yazidis, I have the moderate Sunni. That's how you have to work this war.
Yeah, I would hope so. So has have this has this government, this Congress reached out to you at all, Walid? I think there are very good ideas moving, but because of our political divisions in Washington at this point in time, Congress can stop things from happening, and the administration cannot do things without the full support of, of Congress. We are a divided government, and it's going to be the case till 2016. Right. Now, who do you think gets it, do you think, in Washington? When you see a certain politician get behind the microphone, who do you think seems to understand the, the threat? I don't want to go over names, but this is what I feel. Among most, uh, most, not all, of the candidates in the opposition, that's the Republican uh, leaders. There are many who understand that. I know their staffers. I know how they think. So that is on the one hand. In the administration, I mean, DOD and the agencies, they have great analysts. The issue is not at the level of analysts or staffers. The issue is about policy at the very high level, in which direction we're going to take the confrontation. If we do not act as if we are at war, then we're not going to win this war. I got something else to get you before I let you go. And I know everybody's calling you today. Waleed Ferris, uh, James Clapper, the National Intelligence Director, uh, in a way really hurt the administration's cause in cutting this deal with Iran. He said this, Iran is the leading state sponsor of terrorism and called the regime and its proxy Hezbollah the single most important factors keeping Syrian dictator Assad in power. Uh, the warning comes as the Obama administration is about to enter the final phase of nuclear negotiations with Tehran. From what you know, is Clapper right? And from what we hear, should this deal be signed by the P5 plus one with Iran? a little bit earlier. The analysts, even within the administration, you know, bureaucracies and agencies, they see, they know, including State Department analysts, that Iran is still behind most networks uh, linked to Hezbollah and others in the region. The Arab moderates are very frustrated with, with that issue. Mr. Clapper most likely had read a report written by his own analysts. The problem goes all the way up that at the level of the top policy, meaning the White House, there is a denial, meaning they don't want to hear about this. They want to only sign that agreement, and then they will hear about it. Yeah, in other words, do you, are you for this agreement? And, and do, even though it's going to divide the, the Arab, the, excuse me, the Islamic world uh, more than ever? No, 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 Brian. I mean, from day one, I said this is a big maneuver by the Iranian regime to gain time. This is the biggest error. If we sign, we already have signed a pre agreement, which was a mistake. We have sent a lot of money to the Iranian regime. We have allowed them to buy anti aircraft missiles from Russia. This is a whole big mistake uh, per, uh, perpetrated by this administration with regard to Iran. Uh, Waleed, thanks so much for joining us. I wish one time we would talk about the Arab Spring that worked, uh, peace that's now uh, taken root, and an administration that understood. But unfortunately, none of those things came true. Waleed, thanks so much. Thank you for having me.